soul. During the Advent, we've been looking at the impact of the Incarnation, and we have seen, um, as we've gone through it, that as the resurrection is the core of the Gospel message, so the Incarnation is the foundation of that message. And we have gone through, considering the impact of the Incarnation then, um, considering it on the, the revelation of God, talking about the Bible itself, how important it is that Jesus Christ was God incarnate, that he was born of a virgin, that if that's not true, then the word of God is, it's a false, it's a lie. And everything we believe is a lie. And um, last night, when we gathered together, we, we saw then the message that God gave to Isaiah stating that unto us a child is going to be born and his name is going to be the wonderful counselor, the, the, the mighty God, the um, everlasting father, the prince of peace, talking about who this child was going to be. But in that as well, um, said that that message is going to come in from Galilee and that those who walked in darkness were going to see a great light. And when the angels came and they declared the message, they didn't say, for unto us a child is born. They said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Because, as we talked about last night, the angels don't get the second part about the, the impact of the incarnation. That is redemption of man. There is no redemption for angels. And so when the angels came to proclaim the message, it was a message for us, not for them. They are in wonder of this whole thing. And so the impact of the incarnation, if, if Christ, again, wasn't, born of a virgin, if he wasn't God in the flesh, there would be no redemption, oops, redemption of man. Because our redemption is tied to the fact that Christ is God in the flesh. He would not be the perfect sacrifice for us. We then began to look at the reflection of Christ, considering the impact of Christ's incarnation in our lives. And that when Christ came to the earth, and he walked upon the earth, that again, he could have done it in any way he wanted to, but he chose to do it this way in order to leave us an example and that we should be walking in his light, in his love, and today we want to look at in his life. And as we considered that, the light, we considered the fact of his holiness and our obedience, that that is what God has called us to do, to be a light. And the, the greatest way that we can be a light to those that are about us is to be walking in the the truths of God's word, according to his commandments. Well, that leads us into what Christ gave us at his commandment, right? He said an old commandment, a new commandment is what John calls it, right? But he refers back to the commandment of Christ. And Anybody remember what the main command of Christ was for us? That we should love one another. So if we are walking in the light, then what we're going to do is we're going to be loving one another. And we saw then the expression of love, the example of love that God gave to us, and that he himself came to the earth to die for us, that he loved us to that extent, and that we then are supposed to have that expression of love in our own lives in how we treat one another, putting the, the value of others above our own and putting the needs of others as above our own. If we know that God loves us, then we know that he cares about us. Okay, there's a kind of a logical progression in my brain going on here, okay? And so you've got to kind of get inside there and flow with me. But in Romans chapter 8, we're told, if God is 
for us, then what? Who can be against us? And he goes through a whole list of things that cannot be against us. And I have it written down, but you can go there and you know the list. You know, height nor depth nor principalities or powers. All these things. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? The love of God, the love of Christ that he has for us is the core of his faithfulness to us. Because he loves me and he's faithful to me, I then have the assurance of the life that he has for me. And so those who are in Christ will believe the truth of his incarnation, but those who are in Christ will be walking in his light, his love, and in his, in his life. And this is huge for me, especially as I look to this day, because this day is all about the greatest gift that God has given to us. You know, I have on there, happy birthday, Jesus, on, in the bulletin, because this is his birthday, right? And when it's your birthday, people are supposed to do what, Justin? Celebrate when it's your birthday, right? But they give you gifts. I mean, when's the last time you went to a birthday party and you were supposed to give everybody who came the presents? You know, reality is, I mean, no, I know when we have presents, when we have birthday parties for kids sometimes, you know, we may have little favors that we give to the other kids who come, you know, and that kind of stuff. But the reality is, the expectation is that if you're going to a birthday party, that you're not giving presents to everybody else. You're giving presents to the birthday person, right? But today is Jesus' birthday, or at least what we celebrate as Jesus' birthday, right? And when we go home, or maybe already today, or maybe you did it yesterday, everybody else got presents. But you know what's special about this day? God gave us a present. It's his, quote-unquote, birthday. But on that birthday, he was coming to give us the ultimate present. And the ultimate present is eternal life. The wages of sin is death. It's what I worked for. I mean, that's, that's the, the end result of materialism. I work hard. I earn it, and then I what? I die. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are supposed to then to walk, as we see this, in the confidence of life that we have in Christ Jesus. As we're going to see as we come through this, eternal life is not something I'm going to get. Eternal life is something that I, I have right now. And <clears throat> I'm going to jump ahead. It's not in my notes. But I, I love the, the, the talk to the kids and people about it. But you can't kill me. How do you like that statement, huh? You know, you talk about all the, 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 the X-Men and superheroes and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, impenetrable and, you know, they, you know super, uh, Superman. You give him kryptonite, you know, all this kind of stuff. But you know what? You can't kill me. You can stop my tent from existing on the earth. It's going to die. die. It's, going to, it's going to stop functioning. My tent's going to go one day. It's just going to kind of fall in, right? But I live inside here. So some of you heard me share this before, okay? So I can't answer. How many of you think that you can see me? Oh, too many of you heard this. Yeah, at least you're being honest, Liam. And the answer is, you can't see me. Because I live 
inside of here. If you cut off my arms, you cut off my legs, you burn my face in a fire so that I'm irrecognizable. Am I still me? I'm still me. I'm not what you see. I live inside this tent. And one day this tent is going to just go away. You can't kill me. Do you get it? I have eternal life right now. I'm not looking forward to getting it. I'm looking forward to having it in his presence. I'm looking forward to what life is going to be like not having to struggle with the lust of my flesh, the lust of my eyes, and the pride of my life. What it's going to be like to, to, to worship at his throne. But I already have the greatest present that Christ came to offer, and that is eternal life. So, confidence in living. If I have this eternal life, if I, if I have it. Remember, John has all these what? These if statements here, right? Okay? If I have eternal life, then I am going to walk in confidence in my life. Turn with me to chapter 2. We're going to come back to chapter 5 in a moment. There's a lot of um, talking about the life there. But in chapter 2, drop down to verse 24. John says to the believers, he says, Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to what? Deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true, it is not a lie, and just as it is taught you, you also will abide in him. If, if the message you heard, you appropriated. Make sense? Just hearing the message doesn't make you a believer. Just going to church doesn't get you to heaven. Being in a Christian home doesn't make you a child of God. If you have appropriated the message that God became flesh, dwelt among us, took upon himself our punishment, and you have believed that in your heart, and you are trusting that for your salvation, then you have eternal life. That is the promise of God. If you don't believe that, then you make God a liar. Or say that God is unfaithful. That God is in, unable to accomplish that which he has stated he will do. That's his, <clears throat> excuse me, that's his promise to you and I. But it's also his purpose, the foundation of our confidence here. It's his, it's his purpose. Turn to chapter 4. Verse 9. In this, the love of God 
was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might what? We might live through him. Why did Jesus come to the earth? That we might have life. How cool is that? Now, once I have life, what's God's purpose for me? To be conformed to the image of Christ. To be Christ-like. Well, when Christ walked on the earth, if I'm going to reflect Christ, okay, so let's go back to Christ while he's living on, while he's walking on the earth, okay? He walked in light. He walked in love. But he also walked in what? In life. He knew. One of the things that Jesus Christ knew, he was God, right? I mean, so it's easy you know, for us to kind of discount this. But one of the things he knew was exactly what I just told you. You couldn't what? Kill him. He laid down his what? Life, knowing that he was going to do what? Take it back up again. That death couldn't hold him. That though from man's perspective, man killed him, man destroyed him, man stopped his ministry. All they did was fulfill what God had already planned. And that death, no, that death would be destroyed. And that in the destruction of death, you and I, would have everlasting life. I don't have to destroy death on myself. If I did, I'm hopeless. I can't destroy death. But Christ already did. Those no fear stickers, that ought to be us. Now, I'm not saying we, we, we live our life recklessly. That's not godly. But the other side is, I don't have to fear what man can do to me. Rather, Jesus said, fear who? Fear God. Don't fear man who can only do what? Kill you. What? Don't fear man who can only kill you. Rather, fear God who not only can kill you, but what? Destroy your soul. Send you into everlasting death. Man can only lead you into temporary death. So the purpose of God was for us to have life. The effects, the effects of our confidence, we're going to see here back in chapter 2 then, okay? There's a willingness for me to lay down my lusts. Beginning in chapter, chapter 2, verse 15, we're told, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father, what? It's not in him. Wow. Now, I don't know if this is necessarily talking about salvation here, but it is a general truth. There's not, you can't love two masters. Isn't what Jesus said? You either love the world or you love God. And so John's picking up on it and says, you can't do it. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God does what? Abides forever. If I know, if I know that I'm living forever, and I have this confidence, then one of the outworkings of it, one of the effects of that confidence in my life 
is that I will be in this continual process, this continual state of sanctification, if you would, okay? But laying down my lusts. What's lust? What, what is lust? Uh, we don't need to talk about the, the specific one that we always think of with lust. But notice this is lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh. So it's not we always think about lust of the flesh. Okay? But what is lust? Desire. Just desire? I desire the apple. I desire that orange. Well, it, it, it could belong to me. I mean, you're, you're right. Usually, that's how it is. It's a deep, strong, passionate desire for something. Okay? And so, so that lust, is, and so the word epithemia um, in, the, in the Greek, okay, themia is fire, so it's, it's a burning, it's, a, it's an intense burning, okay, is the idea. And so, you could lust after pizza, I mean, if you want, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Anna's saying yes. I mean, uh, my, my kids, and it's probably one of these Freudian things in my brain, because my kids are talking about the perfect Thanksgiving meal is, is not, you know, turkey and gravy and all that, but they want pizza and hamburgers. And um, anyways, um, but, but the idea of this is that it's something that I what? I want. It's something I want. Why, why do we fall to that? Well, I mean, and so, you know, chocoholics, you know, they can't pass the what? The chocolate plate without picking something up, Right? And so, now, I mean, I can pick on all these other ones, but let's just pick on a good one for Christmas Day, right? And, uh, and so, <laughs> thanks, I know, that's right. There goes all your bonbons. They're all gone for the day. Anyways, but you can't pass one by. You can't pass it up. Why can't you pass it up? Because you what? You desire it. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the chocolate, but, but get the illustration, okay? Because a lot of times we look at the, the really sinful ones, and we say, oh, yeah. But just, if you... Love God more. If you desire God more, if you know you're going to live with him forever and you want to please him, then you're going to want what he wants more than you want what you want. And I believe that God gets great glory when I sacrifice something I want in lieu of what he would want. In my flesh, I want a lot of things that aren't right. It's just part of my flesh. But in my spirit, I lust, if you would, I greatly, passionately desire to serve and please God. Does that make sense? Now, I know we don't use a term that way, but think of it that way, that intense burning. Do you have an intense burning desire to live your life, the life that he's given you, eternal life, for him, not for the things of the world. Are you willing to lay down your lust for clothing, your lust for cars or boats or planes or whatever, your lust for houses, your lust for this, your lust for that? Because you have a burning, greater, a greater burning desire for Christ. That's what Jesus was getting at in Matthew chapter 6. You have to make a decision. And that's why he says, 
that if the light that is within you is darkness, how great is the, the darkness? If those who are supposed to be walking in light and reflecting the love of God, walking in the confidence of the life that he's given to us, lust after the things of the world more than we lust after the things of God, how great is the darkness? A willingness to lay down our lust, but secondly then, a willingness to lay down our, our lives. Turn to chapter 3. 16. I think it's interesting that John, at least how it was all broken out later on, that John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16 are almost very similar. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. If I know, if I know, if I really believe that I have eternal life, and that it doesn't end when my tent is destroyed here on the earth, then I don't have an issue about laying down my life, do I? Because I'm not really laying down my life, am I? I'm just laying down my transition point. Isn't that what Jesus did for me? If a grenade has to be jumped on, who ought to be the one that jumps on it? The one who knows that he's living forever anyway. How sad it is if the guy who doesn't have that confidence is the guy who jumps on it to save, to spare the one who has the confidence. Around about, as you meet with people, you have the opportunity to lay down your your life. Usually it's not my physical life, it's my pride of life that really has to be laid down, isn't it? I mean, it's not very often, it only happens once usually, that I'm ever offered, asked to lay down my physical life. But how many times am I asked to lay down my, my prideful life? To sacrifice who I am in the eyes of others that they might have life. Walking in the confidence of living. But John also then talks about this confidence in praying. Here in chapter 5, which uh, Chuck read this morning, we read this section, which many times we go to, verse 13 specifically, when we want to give people confidence in their, um, in their salvation. But I want to begin in verse 9 again. Just read this section one more time. It says, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is what? It's greater. I mean, think about it. We receive the witness of men, and we, we believe it. We may not even know whether it's true, but we what? We accept it. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness, where? in himself. How do you know? You just know. Does it make sense? Where is the witness? It's inside you. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. 
And this is the testimony that God has given us what? Eternal life. This life is in his son. This is God's testimony. He's given us eternal life. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God doesn't have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have, you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So the first thing, the importance of the testimony of God. This is God's testimony. This is God's declaration. Again, if I don't believe it, I'm saying that God what? He's a liar. That's what the word of God says. So, I'm going to ask it again. But do you believe you have eternal life? Do you believe that what God has waiting for you on the other side of the portal is eons better than what you can even imagine here? I can't even, people, what's going to heaven begin to be like? It's going to be beyond what you can ever imagine. It's going to be beyond what you can, I mean, I can, I can try to get, talk about the streets of gold, and I can talk about the gates of pearls, and I think it's beyond that. I mean, God was just trying to place something that's mind-boggling to us that's there. In other words, to have gold that's just commonplace, that's, it's just like asphalt to us. To have pearls the size of a gate. I mean, the, the, to use these illustrations of things that we value. That God is saying they're what? They're just commonplace. They're nothing. <clears throat> is to tell me that what he's got waiting for me is beyond what I could ever imagine. I has not seen nor ear heard what God has prepared prepared. That's pretty cool. He's not what? Preparing it. It's already what? Prepared. It's a done deal. It's, it's already there. I just haven't what? Experienced it yet. Just as Christ died, if you would, before the foundation of the world. How does that happen? Well, it was already determined plan of God. He's outside the realm of time. It's already happened. I'm in, I'm in the realm of time. One day I'm going to experience it. That's already there. This is God's testimony. Again, if we believe the testimony of man in something, and so we go back and think about all these archaeological things we look at, right? How many things we can just take for granted and we accept the testimony of a man on? How much more so? The testimony of God. It drives me bonkers when I hear people who want to debate God's word. It really doesn't mean that. Well, why did God say so then? If I can't accept God's testimony, why should I accept the testimony of a man? I want, I'm going to accept your testimony over what God said. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. God said, I have eternal life. He who has the Son has, not will get, not shall have, he who has the Son 
has life. These things have I written to you that you may know that you what? Have eternal life. And that you then may what? Continue to believe. The importance of the testimony of God, the importance of the will of God. This all plays out now then into this praying. The confidence I have in praying. If I know that God has given me everlasting life, if I know that I'm going to live in his presence, I mean, I'm going to be with him. I don't get how billions of people are all going to be near God at one time. But I don't get how billions of people can talk to him right now and he hears every one of us, and he answers every one of us. Make sense? So my brain doesn't have to what? Comprehend it. Even though my brain tries to comprehend it, and tries to, trying to figure out how the, it doesn't have to. It's true. Why is it true? Because the testimony of God says it's true. Does that make sense? And so as I'm praying to God, he what? He hears me. How do I know he hears me? Because he said so. He said so. Just like he says, I'm going to live in his presence. So if God loves me so much, and he came to die for me so that I can live with him forever, doesn't it kind of make sense that the rest of his testimony is true? And that he wants my fellowship? And he wants me to have a conversation with him? But I'm now told, so if I have this confidence of living, then I also then have the confidence of knowing that if I ask anything according to what? His will, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Only Steve knows this? If I ask anything, if I know I'm going to live with him forever, then I should know if I ask anything according to his will, what's going to happen? Come on, y'all. What's going to happen? He'll do it. Why do you know that? He said so. Wake up. I know it's Christmas Day. Wake up. This is exciting to me. This is name and claim it. You didn't think you were in a charismatic church? God gave us a promise. If you delight yourself in the Lord, Psalm 37, he will what? Give you the desires of your heart. If you ask anything according to his will, he's going to what? He's going to hear you. If he hears you, he's going to give you the desires of your heart. Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will what? I'll do it. That's why we slap the, in Jesus' name at the end of our prayers. That's wrong. That is why people do that, thinking that if they just say hocus pocus or, you know, whatever in the end, it, they get it. You know, and that's not what it means. If you've been in the military, you get this one. It's like signing an order in the name of the general. Then all of a sudden, the general sees what you signed and says what? It wasn't in according to my will. Revocation, it's gone. But if I'm the XO, I can sign in the name of the commander. That's what Jesus is saying. If you ask it in my name, then my father will what? Will do it for you. But the assumption is if you're asking in my name, it's what? It's according to his will. Jesus, I want a pink Cadillac. No, I really don't. Wow, on the parking lot. There it is. No. <laughs> no, I didn't really want that one. Anyways. But it's not Aladdin's lamp. It's not the, you know, rub it, and all of a sudden here's the genie, and boom, you know, and I get my wishes. You know what your first wish ought to be? I get a million more. 
I wish I had a million more wishes. Anyways, and so, people always blow that one, you know, but you've got to make sure that you're doing your, your wishes right. But it doesn't happen that way. That's not who God is. So, what are some things I know about the will of God? What does God desire? Go ahead, say it out loud, Tammy. Yeah. Doesn't it say that? I mean, that's kind of a quote, isn't it? God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay? What is, what is also something that God desires or his will? You know, I mean, just tell me something that you know from God's word it says about the will of God. How about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? Guys? Well, that's okay. Give thanks and everything. It's chapter 5. Chapter 4 talks about our sanctification. First Peter, be holy as he is holy, but to walk for men specifically, to, to possess their, their um, oh, I hate when my brain walks away, their vessel with honor. That, that is the will of God for us, that we would be sanctified. You want to pray? You want to ask for things? To, and know that you're going to have name and claim it? You're going to get what you pray for? Yeah, you got that inside connection with God, and he's going to give you what you ask for. Start asking for salvation and sanctification. Ask that people will be able to, to grow in his grace and knowledge. Be seeking one another in your love for one another. That we would grow in our love for one another. That we would grow in, in, in the image of Christ. Not that we're going to have a bigger building. Not that we're going to have a, a larger congregation. Those things come, and that's not wrong necessarily if we have need of those things. Does that make sense? But those are physical things. God's desire, God's will for us is salvation and sanctification. Look through, and I just challenge you to do this. We don't have time for this this morning. Just to go through the prayers of the Bible. Go through the prayers of Paul, how he's praying for the church. He's not praying for the the. the um, Bill, Billy's dog who has a, a, a bummed leg to be healed. The power of prayer is huge. That's walking in life because I know that life goes beyond here. Does it make sense? If the fullness of life is only here and now, then what are the things I should be asking for? The things that make you happy here. Does it make sense? But if I know that I have eternal life and that you have eternal life, you have eternal existence, how's that? Now, I hope you have eternal life. I hope you believe in the name of the Son of God, right? But what I do know is that everybody on this earth has eternal what? Existence. They're going to live forever. It's where they're going to live. And so if I know my neighbor next door is going to live forever, what should I be doing? I should be praying for them to come to truth, to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Why? God says he'll hear that prayer. Do you believe it? For 20 years, we prayed for my grandma. And you guys, many of you heard this. She got saved two weeks two weeks before she died. 
I praise God for that. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And it's because of us she got saved. No, it's because of his grace. It's because of his grace. However, God does say what? If you ask, and you ask according to his will, then you know what? You will receive. Do you believe that? Faith, the size of a what? Mustard seed. If you ask believing. So the question is, do we what? Not only do we ask, but do we really believe? Do we really believe? Lord, give us faith. Just even the size of a mustard seed. That we could say to this mountain, be moved and cast into the sea. And it would what? It'd be done for us. If it was God's will for Mount Rushmore to be cast into the Atlantic Ocean, to be the new Atlantis, I could do that. If God said, Bob, this is my will. This is what I want you to do. I believe I could say that. And I don't even need to be at Mount Rushmore for it to happen. Just like Jesus didn't have to be there to heal the servant of the centurion. The centurion, a Gentile, got it. He said, just say the word. I too am a man under authority. I know if you speak, it's going to what? It's going to happen. Jesus said, wow. I haven't seen such great faith even in all of Israel. If I know I have eternal life, then I know that God cares about me and he hears me. If I know that I'm with, living with him forever, then I care about what his will is. And if I ask according to his will, and not mine, then I know he hears me. And if I know that he hears me, then I know that I will get whatever I've asked for. One last verse. Jesus said, if you, being wicked, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so your Heavenly Father. I know what my love's like. It's very selfish. I mean, I love my kids and I want to do things for them, but I know there's a realm of what? Self-centeredness that continues to struggle. My Heavenly Father, he doesn't have that. And if I care about giving good gifts to my kids, how much more so, my Heavenly Father, who loves me so much that he came to the earth to be incarnate, that he might live, lay down his life, that I might have mine. If you're willing to sacrifice your life, Jesus says that you will what? You'll find it. So in the end, have you accepted God's Christmas gift to you. Jesus was incarnate that you might have life. Do you believe that you have eternal life? Not that you're going to get it, but if you have the Son, that you have life right now 
In what way does God's promise to you make a difference in your lifestyle? Does it? Again, we've talked this whole way through, and this is John's, John's impact all the way coming through here, that the, that the incarnation should have an impact upon your life, that that which you have seen, that which you have heard, that which you have looked upon, that which your hands have handled ought to change your life. If it hasn't changed your life, then you probably haven't seen it, heard it, touched it. I didn't say that. He did. In what way, knowing you have eternal life, has it changed your life? And finally then, is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness to us. You alone are the most high God. There is none else. You alone have breathed into us the breath of life. You have given us physical life. And then you came and died and rose again that we might have everlasting life in your presence. Lord, help us to honor you, to offer back up to you this gift that you have given to us. Truly, it wasn't ours to, to come up with. It was yours. But Lord, help us to willingly offer you this gift of our lives. Lord, if there's anyone here who hasn't called upon your name yet, Lord, that today, what a beautiful day, would be the day of their redemption, their birthday because of your birthday. And for those, Lord, who have called upon your name, Lord, that as we go into this new year, Lord, that we would desire to use these moments that you've given to us, as fleeting as they are at times, to magnify you, to invest in others that you have made in your image and likeness that many may come to know you as their Savior. Lord, we pray and ask you, I specifically ask you for John and Christy, Lord, that you will bring them to yourself, that this assembly being planted right here in front of them will be the best thing that's ever happened to them. Lord, I pray for the, the parents and the families of the children at South Columbia Elementary School. We pray, Lord, that you will draw them to yourself, that you will cause them to have the joy of salvation. Lord, that they will call upon your name and be saved. That we might have the privilege of encouraging them in their relationship with you. Discipling them according to, your, according to the truth of your word. Lord, give us the privilege of ministering to our neighbors and to our families. I know many of us have family members who don't know you, Lord. I pray that you will draw them to yourself and that we would have the joy, Lord, of having spiritual fellowship. Lord, I pray for marriages that are struggling right now, that there is no joy and peace on this Christmas day because in the flesh people are at odds, even those who claim to know you. Lord, I ask that you will cause us men to understand your love for us and to be able to reflect that to our wives. That you will cause the wives to understand your desire for submission from the church 
and that they would emulate that in their relationships to their husbands. That we, as partners, may reflect you to this world. May our children desire to walk in obedience to their parents as unto the Lord. Again, that you may be glorified. Father, help us to be students of your word, to know what your will is, to know how to speak to you and ask of you more effectively for your kingdom's glory. In Christ's name, amen.